0: Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Sisters on Air show on the Voice of Islam Radio, a show where we explore a variety of topics relating to lived experiences of women and highlighting the Islamic perspective. I'm Melissa Amadi, your host for today's episode. So, we're exposed to it all of the time and perhaps are even active partakers in it, either knowingly or unknowingly, whether it's at school, university, work, or at home. Gossip can inadvertently play a role in our lives. Whether we even realise it or not, it's common amongst friends and family members, confidants, or those who confide in you. And every day people can come to you with stress, to offload stress, advice, discuss matters that are troubling to them. And sometimes they come with business that isn't one's own. And being able to recognise the difference and if and how to respond is a skill. So whether someone's confiding about something or begins with, Did you hear that? etc., etc., Whether we want to hear it or not, or whether we're entitled to hear it or not. Whether it's good, bad, or even ugly. Whether this is verbal or written, or what a person has heard. And now, social media platforms make it so easy to share opinions and to have that instant communication. And it makes it easy to have a rant, or to listen to others having one. Social media has also, in many ways, made rumour-mongering much worse, with words being misconstrued, and much of the time, things are taken out of context, or blown out of proportion the rise of social media personalities who often promote a one-size-fits-all can play into how divided society has become. And these individuals tend to share divisive, sometimes controversial ideas and opinions and commentary simply for mass attention and the traffic that it brings to their platforms. And expressing an opinion now has become like breathing in air. With avenues of Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, TikTok, Snapchat, it makes it really easy and instant for that communication. But it also makes it easy for disinformation, exaggeration and gossip, much easier than ever before. And when the rise of trolling and cyberbullying and ghost accounts, the more sinister side of technology, i.e. the dark web, and virtual anonymity make it more difficult to hold people accountable for things than ever before too. Opinions often have far-reaching consequences and are hard to hold to account, especially if they're not very nice ones. And we know all too well about how that plays out in the political sphere. I mean, with the freedom to speak, of course, comes responsibility. And perhaps where politics and reality TV has come full circle, with the recent celebrity game show on primetime TV, here we can see that gossip and public accountability are intertwined. And here comes the issue of reputation and responsibility. And whether it's politics, human rights issues, climate change or more personal issues, Everyone has a voice and is expected to use it. But what is the guidance on having a voice? And where does this voice become harmful? Where does it actually tip into damage? With every virtue, there's vice. And with every voice, of course, there's noise. And the noise pollution that we're speaking on today is the topic of gossip. So we spoke of, you know, game shows and reality TV... You know they undoubtedly profit off of gossip and rumours of the contestants and the outside world looking on judging it all for themselves and we live in an era where it's never been easier to have an opinion whether it's positive or negative but in this free society where publicising your opinion all of the time is seen to be a virtue does it actually make for a more harmonious society there's an old saying that sticks and stones can break your bones but words will never hurt you But we all know that as adults, words play a huge role, perhaps even the biggest role in maintaining relationships with those around us. And we teach young children the impact of being kind and speaking politely to other people. But as teenagers and adults, in a completely free and unrestricted society, almost the opposite holds true. The culture of say whatever you like because it's your right to say it can often take precedence. So perhaps here the freedom of expression versus the freedom to abuse argument can come into play. And I definitely recommend a previous Pathway to Peace show, which is also hosted by The Voice of Islam, which goes into that topic on a much more deeper level. But in a world where sort of accountability and personal responsibility are shaky, where people in power, either politically and otherwise, are seen to get away with misconduct and the manipulation of truths, where does one begin to unpack the topic of gossip? and slander and hearsay for the everyday person? And what does the Islamic response, what is the Islamic response to uprooting these facts of everyday life? I mean, as we know, Islam provides such a beautiful and holistic guidance on dealing with gossip. And in helping research for this programme, I've personally definitely learned a lot about the Islamic wisdom and certain etiquettes with regards to better understanding gossip and what it consists of and some of the ways to try to uproot it. And how a person can avoid exchanges which are harmful and damaging. This show will take us on a journey of how, even perhaps on the surface, seem the most trivial of things may take a different slant, and just what we can do about it. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Mariam Bashir and Nadia Ahmed. Mariam's a pharmacist, and Nadia is studying psychology at university. Assalamu alaikum to you both, peace be upon you. Wa well, So to start then, gossip on a very basic level is talking about someone negatively in their absence, which generally can have a level of hearsay to it. And to delve into this topic further on gossip and rumours and how this sort of plays out in society, how it can lead to slander and defamation on a legal and professional level, but also on a more personal level, the breaking of trusts and personal sentiments, This is somewhat going to be a bit of an introspective and reflective episode where we'll be taking a closer look at the impact that gossip can have in society, both privately and publicly. So under the name of freedom of speech speech or expression, maybe even boredom or sport, I think we seem to be in a culture now where it's encouraged to be open about one's feelings, but often at the expense of others. Um, Personal and individual freedom is thought to be put above above the collective at many times and in a prevalent culture of maybe oversharing there's a tendency that one has to speak out with their own opinion on everything all of the time so my first question to you Mariam on a very basic level is what is the difference between giving an opinion and what consists of as gossip and backbiting and maybe more importantly why do people do it what would you say is the root cause of it
1: so firstly we must look at the habits of ill thinking and suspicion. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, said, and I will quote, many vices are formed merely as a result of thinking ill of others. To hear a certain thing about someone and immediately believing it to be true without looking into the matter end quote. And in fact we can argue that ill thinking can lead onto gossip or backbiting. Now, you ask me why people do it. I believe people gossip because it's a type of human bonding and allows for the exchange of information, a bit of sensationalism. We think it gives us something to share and talk about. And sadly, speaking about others behind their backs is the easiest thing to do. It gives people a sort of sense of empowerment. Evolutionary psychologist Robin Dunbar argued that As we are more social than our ancestors, especially with modern communications and large social networks, discussion of social and personal issues helps maintain the types of societies that currently exist. When you hear gossip, there is more activity in the prefrontal cortex of your brain, according to a study done in 2015. And that area of the brain has a lot of important cognitive functions, including planning, decision making, problem-solving, and self-control. In order to say something negative about someone in their absence, it involves being exposed to something in some way. As the Holy Quran states, and I quote, And follow not that of which thou hast no knowledge. Verily, the ear and the eye and the heart, all these shall be called to account. End quote. This is from the Holy Quran, chapter 17, verse 37. Now I want to highlight the commentary of this verse, which was done by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness al-Din Mahmud Ahmed. Stated, and I quote: "This verse cuts at the root of all sources of suspicion. These sources, in their natural order, are the ear, the eye, and the heart. The ear is the first avenue through which most suspicions enter a man's mind, as a rule." Suspicions are caused by ill-founded reports which one hears about another person. Next to hearing comes a source of sight. A person sees another doing certain acts and interprets it wrongly and is led to suspect the latter's motives and intentions. The last and most degraded kind of suspicion is that which a person entertains about another, not as the result of a bad report, which he might have heard about him, nor in a consequence of a bad act or deed, which he might have seen him doing, but which is purely the figment of his own diseased mind. Muslims are enjoyed to stay clear of all of these forms of suspicion. They are the enemy of cordial social relations. The verse draws attention to the fact that it is not only human life and property, to which a reference has already been made in the preceding verse, which are sacred and inviolable. Human honour also is sacrosanct, and an attack upon it also will have to be accounted for. A person will be called to account for having listened to anything about another person, which he had no right to do. Similarly, he will be brought to account for having seen something which he should have not seen, and so will he be punished for harbouring, in his mind, evil thoughts about other people. We are told that our impressions and opinions should not be based on mere hearsay, but on sure knowledge. Mere evidence of the ear, the eye, or the heart is not sufficient to condemn a person or form an adverse opinion about him, but sure knowledge based on thorough inquiry. End quote. So I guess we could say that ill thinking and suspicion can be the root of gossip slash backbiting. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, and I quote, suspicion is a grave calamity which in no time consumes faith, just as a blazing fire consumes dry straw, end quote. And on another occasion, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said, two factors lead a person to a state of frenzy, when he thinks ill of others and when his anger becomes excessive. Therefore, it is essential that one should avoid thinking ill of others and also avoid anger end quote
0: so what would you say mariam then is the difference between <clears throat> ill thinking um to gossip or backbiting
1: so to think ill of someone is to have a poor or disdainful opinion about someone or having suspicion about someone without having any knowledge or of the truth or reality to gossip or to backbite is to speak negatively about someone's someone behind their back, putting others down in their absence, which can also include an exaggeration of events or facts, but it can also include telling others information disclosed in private or indulging in hearsay. Both of them are wrong and can lead to harmful outcomes which can be easily avoided. The following verse from the Holy Quran explains how wrong it is to both ill-think and gossip. It states, and I quote, O ye who believe, avoid too frequent indulgence in suspicions, for some suspicions are certainly sin, and spy not nor backbite one another. Would any of you like to eat the flesh of his brother who is dead? Certainly you would loathe it, and fear Allah. Surely Allah is oft returning with compassion and is merciful. End quote. Now, there are some more further core tenets in the Holy Quran pertinent to this discussion on ridiculing and backbiting in chapter 49, and I'd like to quote them now. So, in chapter 49, verse 7, the Holy Quran states, O ye who believe, if an unrighteous person brings you any news, investigate it fully, lest you harm a people in ignorance and then be repentant of what you have done. And this is from Surah Al-Hujarat. Now this verse teaches us that any gossip that we hear, or even if we come across, it is essential to investigate it fully and see what the truth is, rather than continuing that chain of gossip. Chapter 49 of the Holy Quran further explains the importance of avoiding such talks, which involves the slandering of other people. It states, and I quote, O ye who believe, let not one people deride another people who may be better than they, nor let women deride other women, who may be better than they. Do not slander your own people, nor taunt each other with nicknames. It is bad indeed to earn foul reputation after professing the faith.
0: And those who repent, not other wrongdoers." So this guidance, um, there's a lot of guidance given in that quote, um, lots of nuggets of wisdom there. But why do you think this is given? Like, What's the reason that that's
2: given in the Holy Qur'an, Nadia? So actually the main purpose for this guidance given in the Holy Qur'an is to eliminate any sort of indulgence in gossip and to create a harmonious, peaceful society. The Holy Qur'an mentions why this is important. The commandments of the verses just quoted by Maryam gives us the reason why people indulge in gossip and slander. It is to create false sense of superiority. We learn this in detail by reading the Quranic commentary of these verses, which states, and I quote, The main cause which lies at the root of these evils is conceit and a false sense of superiority. End quote. So we understand this is why the Holy Quran is firm in stating, Everyone is equal and judged according to their personal righteousness. Also, the final verse of the group, of the verses from Surah Al-Hujarat, quoted by Maryam, speaks to the fact that if we all see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Islam, then that should remove feelings of this enmity, jealousy, inferiority complexes that can arise. So, this guidance is not actually only given in the Holy Qur'an. We also read it in a hadith or sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how Islam discourages, in fact forbids, gossip and such like. I have a few hadith here that I would like to quote, actually. The Holy Prophet says that, and I quote, it is enough of a lie for a man that he narrates everything he hears, end quote. He also says, and I quote, Hearing is not like seeing, Now, this is such a powerful saying, which, if heeded, would benefit the world so much. To make the whole matter clearer, I would also like to quote that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said, and I quote, To make a statement regarding one's brother which would portray him to be ignorant and foolish, or which subconsciously would develop an enmity and hatred towards his habits are all forms of evil, end quote. So there is a lot of guidance in Islam to avoid and shun these practices. And we also explain the reasons why.
0: From what you've mentioned, um, gossip and backbiting are quite harmful practices and it's definitely wrong to assume or presume upon anything that we hear. And believing something to be true without actually looking into it from the offset can be very harmful. So what then are the effects of rumours and what are the effects of slander and public defamation of one's character or libel to use more of a legal term? And how does this impact others in terms of disinformation on one's reputation and the reputation of others? Um, You know, after what we've discussed so far, can we say that gossip is harmless? Is it a harmless sport or are the effects not more sinister than that? I mean, surely they're just words, as long as they're not true to the beholder and have little to no effect. Is that right, Mariam? If
1: misinformation is spread about a person or their character, it can massively impact their reputation, not to mention the huge hurt it also causes. Unfortunately, majority of the time when people gossip, they like to exaggerate something that they have come to know. And as this information is disseminated amongst other people, it can eventually become convoluted and completely different to the original story, as in the expression, Chinese whispers. This is what makes gossip sinister. It's interesting because chapter 24 of the Holy Quran, Surah Nur, which means the light in English, encompasses many lessons on this topic, in particular of the harmful effects of slander, gossip and rumours. It sheds light on a particular incident of slander, of the unfounded rumours about Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, the beloved wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which was a very unfortunate incident of disinformation, slander. The dangers of character defamation and unfounded rumours started by the hypocrites of Medina, and it is known as the incident of Ifk. What is thought-provoking to note is how they were baseless rumours or disinformation which had been spread, and the Holy Quran gives clear guidance in this case on how ignoring such malicious stories is the best course of action. The Quran states, and I quote, Why did not the believing men and believing women, when you heard of it, think well of their own people, and say, this is a manifest lie? End quote. And this is from Surah al nur chapter 24, verse 13. So here we can see that we've been given guidance which stops gossip or slander right in its tracks by not believing it. Now we go on to read in verses 16, 17 and 18 of the chapter and I quote, When you pick up the word, spread by your tongues and start uttering with your mouths, that of which you have no real knowledge and consider it to be of no significance, whereas in the sight of Allah it is an enormity. This is from chapter 24, verse 16. And then we go on to verse 17 where it states, It is not proper for us to talk about it. Holy art thou, O God. This is a grievous calumny. And then the Quran warns people in the future from committing the same mistakes and states and i quote allah admonishes you never to return to the like thereof if you are believers end quote and here we see this lays out that it's not appropriate to even discuss matters of gossip because of the consequences that are far more reaching
0: it's time now for a short break but do stay with us after the break, when we look further into the solutions that Islam presents to avoid gossip and other social ills. In
1: his magnum opus, Brahini Ahmadiyya, part 5, the promised Messiah, peace be on him, writes, By only observing the exceedingly intelligent design of this universe and the culmination of its structure into the highest perfection and stability, sound reason can comprehend the necessity of the fact that there ought to be some creator of these incomparable creations.
2: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet... 24 hours a day.
0: Welcome back to Sisters On Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, where in today's programme we're discussing the harm of gossip and ill-thinking can have and can cause, and we're also taking a deeper look into how Islam equips us to deal with these issues. So, returning to the issue of gossip then, how is it different from informing or speaking the truth? Is there actually a way to establish truth from falsehood? I mean, if we give the example or take the example of fake news, for example, being dressed up as real news and the world has almost become contorted. So what seems like reality actually isn't so. And there was a BBC TV series called The Capture, which shows in the programme how real time CCTV footage can be distorted from the reality by using deep fake technology and also some hacking software. Maybe it's a bit of an extreme example, but there have been examples of women who have been manipulated and held ransom on account of explicit photos and videos which have been distorted for blackmail and manipulation purposes. And actually, whether or not they're real is besides the point. The damage is already done to that individual. And His Holiness, Mirza Masrul Ahmed, the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, has spoken out on this at the most recent Ladies' Annual Gathering in September 2022. So sometimes whether or not something is real or true is not the point. The damage is actually done regardless. So how can you then tell the difference between if one is speaking the truth, whether it's exaggerated or, um, you know, a product of manipulation, elaboration, or just straight untrue gossip and rumours? So my question to you, Nadia, is what is the concept of Qaul-e-Sidid, to use an Arabic phrase or the right word as translated in English? And how does it allow
2: for speaking honestly whilst also avoiding gossip and slander? So the Islamic concept and meaning of the Arabic term Qaul-e-Sidid, which is a term that the Holy Quran uses and it translates in English to the right word, as you mentioned, which actually links to two other important verses of the Holy Quran where in chapter 33, verses 71 to 72, it is stated, and I quote, O ye who believe, fear Allah and say the right word. He will reform your conduct for you and forgive you your sins. And whoso obeys Allah and his messenger s- shall surely attain a mighty success. Quote. Now, these verses explain the significance of saying the right word, being truthful rather beautifully.
0: And both of these verses, actually, they're read out um, during the Islamic marriage ceremony in Arabic as well, which shows that it's significant not only for society at large, because the nigar, which is the public announcement of an Islamic marriage, is, um, you know, it's public, but also within a marriage itself, it's pivotal
2: to have that truthful and appropriate, honest word with each other. Yes, that's correct. In fact, I'd like to add a little more to the concept of Gola by mentioning what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has explained in his Quranic commentary of the verses we were discussing. So, explaining verses 71 to 72 of Surah Al-Azab of the Holy Quran, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote, Qoliss deed the right word, entails uttering what is completely true and appropriate and has no hint of randomness, uselessness and falsehood. Quote. He also explained, O oh you! who believe, fear God, and say what is based on truth, honesty, fairness, and wisdom, do not talk randomly and speak at the right time and place, quote. So we see that we in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are so fortunate that we continue to get this guidance. His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmad, our khalif, and worldwide head of the community, said in one of his Friday sermons as well about Golis Sadid, and I quote, a benchmark of Golis is that whatever one says is pertinent and appropriate. It is not essential to say everything that is true. If it is not pertinent and appropriate, it can cause discord and strife. By divulging secrets of others, relationships break down. However, at times something may not be appropriate in one situation, but becomes necessary in another situation. End quote. Now, what could be clearer than this? Explaining the matter further, His Holiness said, and I quote again, For example, some matters are brought before the Khalifa of the time, which are for reformation. These matters are not for divulging in other situations, but here the disclosure becomes pertinent and appropriate. A matter is pertinent and appropriate when something frivolous is not said in the name of Gawla deed, and no overstatement or exaggeration is made in the guise of explanation. Sometimes people bring something to notice for reformation, but during the process indulge in an overstatement or an exaggeration. In such an instance, the matter does not remain goylusedid. Rather, it becomes a travesty of goylusedid. Even overstatement or an exaggeration by the odd word takes a matter away from truth, and as a result, instead of proper meaning of reformation, wrong means are utilised. At times, reformation can be done with gentle advice, by condoning or with slight discipline. However, when wrong words are used to inform the person making the decision, they lead him to dispense harsh discipline. Therefore, wisdom should also be kept in review along with truth and fairness, and it is wisdom to maintain societal peace at every level. Such wisdom requires that everything is said according to time and place with appropriateness. To utter what is truth without wisdom and appropriateness is not gollus adid. On the contrary, it becomes frivolous and rather than attain God's pleasure, it becomes a source of incurring his wrath. God's love is attained by having a fine understanding of Dakwa and gollus adid, I would simply add here as well that this is such a comprehensive guidance on the concept of gollus adid.
0: Definitely. But I mean... To counter that, everyone has a motivation, right? So whether it's fake news or sensationalisation and the exaggeration of truths, which you both mentioned, whether it's out of heightened emotion, anger, conceit or jealousy, which was mentioned earlier in the programme, I think it's impossible to talk about gossip without talking about how people justify it with speaking the truth um inadvertent to the truth. So, we all know at times, you know, truth can be subjective. It can be elaborated, it can be exaggerated. And when we look to a global level, there's no doubt that adopting a path of honesty and truthfulness is the key to societal peace and harmony on a public level, but also on a private level too. And if one can trust those in authority or leadership, then of course this mutual relationship is then strengthened. And His Holiness the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has laid particular emphasis on this point in particular, stating that telling the truth without exaggeration and not embellishing the truth for fear of personal repercussions or reprisals is extremely important. Now, moving on to uh, the act of hypocrisy or the actors, the act of do as I say, not as I do is a group of people that the Holy Quran addresses directly. So how do you think then people can adopt this path of honesty whilst uh, avoiding hypocrisy? And what does this look like within an Islamic framework and how can we recognise it, Maryam?
1: If I may, Melissa, I'd like to answer the second part of your question first. So what does hypocrisy look like and how can we recognise it? As elucidated in a hadith, or saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, a hypocrite possesses four characteristics. Number one, when he converses, he lies. Number two, when he makes a pact, he intends to be disloyal. Number three, when he makes a promise, he breaks it. Number four, when he is involved in a dispute, he uses foul language. So here, by defining the traits of a hypocrite, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has given some clear points of the references to look out for. Now, on to the first part of your question, how can we adopt that path of honesty whilst avoiding hypocrisy? Again, we turn to the guidance we are fortunate to have. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, once said, and I quote, Always keep your word and deed correct. And harmonious, just as the companions may Allah be pleased with them, showed in their lifetime. You too should follow their footsteps and exhibit models of honesty and sincerity. Always keep the model of Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him, before you. As you said, Melissa, adopting a path of honesty and truthfulness is the key to societal peace and harmony. As Muslims, we should follow the guidance given to us by the Holy Quran on treating others with respect. We should avoid superiority and power complexes. Everyone is equal before Allah. Only piety distinguishes a person. The Holy Quran states, and I quote, and speak to men kindly, end quote. Speaking or acting out of anger can also be very damaging. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, elaborated this point by saying, and I quote, if you wish to inherit pure knowledge, do not utter anything out of anger, for such a thing would be empty of wisdom and true understanding, end quote. This is where speaking with wisdom comes into play. His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroo Ahmed, has explained to us in one of his Friday sermons to talk softly with people. Once again, we turn to the Holy Quran and its supreme guidance, which states, and I quote, Allah likes not the uttering of unseemly speech in public, except on the part of one who is being wronged. Verily, Allah is all hearing, all knowing, end quote. If we turn to the commentary of this verse, it elaborates a point, and I would like to quote the commentary, actually. The commentary states, Islam does not allow Muslims to speak ill of a man in public, but he who is wronged may cry aloud when he is actually being transgressed against, so that other men may come to his help. He may as well seek redress in a law court, but he should not go about complaining to all and sundry because that is calculated to create ill will and bad blood and may disturb public peace, which the Qur'an in no case countenances. The words Allah is all hearing, all knowing, have been added to point out that even for a man who is wronged, it is better to act patiently and refrain from speaking ill of anyone. He may either go to a law court or pray to God and seek justice and solace from him. In the end, I would like to mention a couple of very powerful quotes of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, in which he states, Remember, mere verbosity and phraseology cannot avail unless it is followed by practice. Mere words carry no weight. He also said, Make your faith weighty. Practice is the ornament of faith. If a man's lifestyle is not right, then there is also no faith. A true believer is a beautiful person. and
0: <coughs> Absolutely. I mean, you usually hear kids whispering things like, don't tell anyone, promise. Um, and kids can be quite literal when it comes to keeping and making promises with others. And when talking about trust and the breaking of trusts and adopting a path of truthfulness, the Holy Quran also speaks of keeping the promises and the trust with others as well not divulging the secrets of others and safeguarding and protecting others and covering people's weaknesses and also not causing harm to others as well. And the Holy Quran quotes, and who are watchful of their trusts and their covenants. And that's from chapter 23, verse 9. So what then is the impact of this in the framework of gossip and slander, Nadia?
2: Well, as we are discussing the Islamic solutions to bad practices, I would like to again turn to what the Holy Quran explains, the impact of what you mentioned, and would first like to see what the Quranic commentary of this verse you have quoted about keeping trust. So we read in the commentary that this verse points to yet a higher stage in our spiritual development than a previous verse in the surah which refers to guarding one's chastity. This tells us of the high regard Islam has or being watch of one's trust. In a Friday sermon some years ago, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, explained that the Prophet Messiah, on whom be peace, has taught us that rights of others should be awarded, even if it means one has to endure hardship in the process. Islam is a peaceable religion, and though it lays tremendous emphasis in, on peaceable ways, there is widespread breaking of confidence and disorder among Muslims. His Holiness explained that the covenants that need to be fulfilled and honoured are not just business pacts. He added that in Islam, marriage is also a pact, but people deceive each other. His Holiness also mentioned that breaking of pacts is worthy of chastisement in the sight of God. So keeping all of these principles in mind would definitely help us steer clear of gossip or to speak falsely about someone, and these principles will act as a deterrent for us. It is, as I just mentioned, that the Promised Messiah taught us, the high importance Islam gives to being mindful of the rights of others. Even if it means we have to suffer on account of this, that stops one in one's tracks and think before making any ill-judged comment or action that will go against someone or will hurt them, let alone make false accusations and spread rumours. We learn from reading upon this subject that Islam counts those people as virtuous and honourable who are not restrained in their matters, be they regarding God or be they regarding people. In fact, people because of their fear of God or being held blameworthy in the sight of Allah the Exalted, they take great care of their trusts and covenants, and they also regularly examine their inner condition, microscopically, with righteousness. These pious people are ever engaged with supreme honesty and as far as possible they try to fulfill the promise they made with Allah at the time of accepting faith. Similarly, as best as they can, they fulfill with righteousness whatever trusts of people.
0: So speaking of trust, um, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to a person that if he was unable to refrain from every vice, then he should at least refrain from telling lies, thus refraining from at least one vice. So, my question to you, Nadia, is why do you think that he gave this guidance?
2: Well, I mean, we all have heard of the saying, lying is the root of all evil. It is such an unfortunate habit that it only leads to more and more wrong, and without doubt, this is why the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, guided the man to give up lying. That the hadith or saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that you mention where he told a man to promise from that day onwards to always stay firm on honesty, that man followed the guidance and went on to get rid of all of his big and small sins. So honesty in the be- is the benchmark. So honesty is the benchmark of morality and has a high emphasis placed on it within Islam. Explaining a verse of the Holy Quran, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote and I quote. Shun the abomination of idols, and shun all words of falsehood. This shows that falsehood is also an idol, and he who relies upon it ceases to trust in God. Thus, by uttering a lie, one loses God. This really gives us an insight into the Islamic viewpoint of lying. Islam's paramount belief is the oneness of God, his unity, so to liken lying, to an idol, as the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, does, is to compare it to associating partners with God, which is the worst sin in Islam. By contrast, truthfulness is a hadith, you quoted in the question illustrated, leads to a life free of bad practices. In a Friday sermon, His Holiness Mirza Musrun Ahmed related an incident which tells us about the truthfulness and prophets of God. His Holiness said, that the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him was also known as al-sadiq which means the truthful in english and al amin which means trustworthy his holiness said that once the prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him gathered his clan at the foot of a mount and said if i tell you that a big army is in wait for you behind this hill would you believe me they all said yes because you have always spoken the truth The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went on to preach to those assembled, but although they had testified to his truthfulness, these people were worldly, and sadly the Prophet's words had no impact on the hard-hearted among them, and they lost their way and had terrible ending. Others among them accepted Islam after a while. His Holiness said that Prophets of God convinced people of their message, through their truthfulness and it is indeed a great weapon of prophets of god all aspects of their life have brightness of the truth
0: so if honesty and truth is a core quality which one can adopt by being honest with one's own self but also with others what is the way out from moving away from gossip and backbiting to live a more peaceful life and what do you do if you feel like there's an injustice which has taken place against you
2: so, actually, I want to focus on two important things here. Prayer, I believe, is the first step in getting away from these kinds of issues in life, to seek Allah's help. The Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, said in one of his discourses, recorded in Mofazat that he did not understand what the difficulty was if there was a situation where a person was verbally abused, but kept quiet in response and said nothing and remained quiet. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, explained that reformation of a community starts with decorum. What is needed at the outset is, a, is to patiently develop one's moral training, and the most excellent way to do the most excellent way is to most earnestly pray for someone who is verbally abusive. The second point I would like to mention is to adopt humility, as His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed said in one of his Friday sermons that some relate what that some relate words of the promised messiah on whom be peace to others and advise them to control their emotions but they themselves forget that the promised messiah peace be upon him said and i quote be humble like the guilty though truth be on your side End quote. this also answers the second part of your question about what to do if you feel that there is an injustice which has taken place against you this is such a powerful line from the promised messiah's book noah's ark So with prayer and adopting sincere humility, we hope we can move away from these bad practices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's ego is susceptible and everyone has different triggers for what makes them upset or hurt or angry based on either the experiences they've had before or their own natural disposition. And many situations come about from saving face in front of others instead of pouring one's own heart out to God for help and support. Like, I'll give you an example in the Holy Quran, where the sage Luqman uh, warns his son, and I quote, And turn not thy cheek away from men in pride, nor walk the earth haughtily. Surely Allah loves not any arrogant boaster. And that's in chapter 31, verse 19. So in many ways, when a situation occurs where one feels hard done by, it can elicit feelings of self-pity and why is this happening to me, kind of mentality. So how does one avoid this?
1: Sometimes thinking about the situation with a different mindset also helps. If we instead think to ourselves, what is the lesson in learning in this? As Muslims, we believe that we get trialled and tested by God in many different ways. And all this is a process to help us to reach the ultimate goal of righteousness. In this regard, the Holy Quran states... And I quote, Do men think that they will be left alone because they say we believe and that they will not be put onto trial? And this is from the Holy Quran, chapter 29, verse 3. If one is put in such a situation where it triggers them to become angry or upset, it is better to have control over emotions and opt for a humble approach, despite things being difficult. The founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, um, on whom be peace, speaks on this idea of how squashing squashing one's ego is a lifelong process. However, we should still be tr- striving to adopt this way of living our life. Now, Nadia just mentioned a brief quote from a book of the promised Messiah on whom be peace, entitled Noah's Ark. And I would like to quote It in full as it is most relevant to what we are discussing. So it goes for God desires a complete transformation in your being, and he demands from you a death whereafter he should revive you. Hasten to make peace with one another, and forgive your brethren their sins. For he who is not inclined to make peace with his brother is wicked and will be cut off, because he is the cause of dissension. Part with your ego in every way, and do away with mutual grievances. Be humble like the guilty, though truth be on your side, so that you may be forgiven. End quote. I feel there is no better way to answer this question than with these most powerful words of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also so much that we can learn from another quote of the promised Messiah on whom be peace, who says, and I quote, Do not feed your vanity, for those who are bloated cannot enter the gate to which you have been called. And this is also from the book Noah's Ark, which is a wonderful book. I definitely recommend. Um, I think this is just wonderful guidance because it reminds us that our calling is bigger than just you and I, you know, here. But actually, what is our purpose here on earth is actually to look beyond these things of, you know, our own ego and the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, one whose heart has arrogance as little as a small grain will not be allowed to enter paradise. And he also went a step further and said, if you wish to find out whether you're doing something good or bad, you should turn towards your neighbours and see what opinion they hold of you, quote. And of course, in Islam, your neighbour can include anyone that you come into contact with and knows you personally. So, How important is it then to think the best of other people and give people the benefit of the doubt, Nadia?
2: So here we return to the Islamic concept of not thinking ill of others, for that is the saving grace for such instances. In this regard, the Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, has explained so much to us in so many ways and in so many of his books and discourses. He says, and I quote, Bear well in mind that all misery an evil stem from ill thinking. This is why Allah the Exalted has strictly forbidden this and states, and I quote, for suspicion in some cases is a sin, The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, also said, and I quote, I truthfully declare that ill thinking is the most evil affliction. It destroys a person's faith and throws them away from sincerity and truth. It turns friends into enemies. If one begins to think unfavorably, about a certain person, one ought to seek forgiveness from God profusely and make applications before God Almighty, so that one may be saved from this sin and the evil consequences which follow through from ill-thinking. One must not deem this in a light matter, for it is a terrible illness which will cause a man to perish in the swiftest of ways. Quote. So we see that giving people the benefit of the doubt is actually highly recommended in Islam. And relating to this, in Islam, there is an emphasis
0: on looking away from other sins or wrongdoings. Um, and there is a focus on seeking repentance for your own mistakes as a means to sort of evoke your own personal humility and compassion for others. Can you tell us a little bit more about this concept and its significance, Munim?
1: Yes, of course. Now, as you said, we should focus more on ourselves. In fact, seeking repentance and covering the weaknesses of others actually comes from the same root word in Arabic. There is an attribute of God and it's called as which translates in English as the one who covers faults of others or the coverer. And the idea is that nobody is perfect and God covers our weaknesses in front of others. Therefore, we should also follow and should cover the weaknesses and faults of others. It evokes humility to realise everyone makes mistakes and no one is perfect. It takes a courageous person to look at their own faults rather than the faults of others. The promised Messiah said, and I quote, in the case of God Almighty, his mercy covers a person's shortcomings and passes them as it were. Divine mercy possesses a quality of covering shortcomings. End quote. If we seek God's love and forgiveness and want others to forgive us, we have to remember that we're not perfect ourselves. Even in the public domain and in politics in particular, if a politician is able to make own up to their own mistakes and demonstrate what steps they are taking to put them right, then the public trust is more likely to be regained rather than covering their actions and making up excuses. About seeking forgiveness from God, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said, and I quote, Then the question which naturally arises here is how this difficult task can be accomplished. Allah, the exalted, has informed us of the remedy himself. And that you seek forgiveness of your Lord and then turn to him. End quote. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, then carried on and stated, Bear in mind that do things that have been granted to this Ummah, one which grants strength and the other which enables one to practically demonstrate the strength that they have attained. In order to build strength, there is istighfar, which is seeking forgiveness from God, which may also be described as istindad, seeking support, or istirnat, seeking assistance. The Sufis have written that just as meal clubs and lifting weights increases the strength and power of the body, similarly, seeking forgiveness from God is a spiritual weight which strengthens the soul and develops steadfastness in the heart. One who desires to develop strength ought to seek forgiveness or
0: perform istighfar. I think that's very poignant. And perhaps all of us really have been in a position where we've said something out of turn and then later on come to regret it, or perhaps been on the receiving end of that. And, you know, the Holy Quran speaks to this and says, and I quote, man has been created weak in chapter four, verse 29. So therefore, humans, of course, are prone to making these mistakes. And from a worldly perspective, perhaps not more so than in politics, as as we've alluded to this example previously, the keeping of one's word has become more questionable than ever before. And as we can see in the current political climate, and also in in the social climate, where one's ego and saving face is more important than how one's actions can affect others, how does one then ensure that they adopt a path of righteousness, or taqwa to use the Arabic term, And also a sincerity of action, Mariam? Well, this is a very significant
1: question and one that I feel that I can only answer with the help of referring to the teachings of our faith as we've done throughout throughout today's show. We can, of course, try and follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to adopt the right path. And this, the Holy Quran tells us when it states, Say, if you love Allah, follow me, then then will Allah love you and forgive you your faults. And this was said in the Holy Quran, chapter 3, verse 32. And we should try and put trust in Allah alone rather than any other person or situation. Again, as the Holy Quran states, and he who puts trust in Allah, he is sufficient for him. And this was stated in chapter 65, verse 4. And yet again, we should try to follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who told us, and I, quote, speak a good word or remain silent, End quote. Now, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, stated that in order to become a righteous person, it is not enough to simply worship God or fulfill the rights of the creation of God. In fact, a righteous person is one who adopts a high standard of morals and has a positive influence on others through his or her piety and righteousness. So we see that there is so much for us to try and do. Now, Islam greatly promotes thinking of and wishing others well. And this is why Muslims are encouraged to pray for one another and stand next to each other in prayer. This promotes unity and harmony. Giving people the benefit of the doubt is also recommended. As the Muslim saying goes If a friend among your friend errs, make seventy excuses for him. If your hearts are unable to do this, then know that the shortcoming is in your own selves. End quote. As mentioned earlier, gossip, rumour, slander, and false reports largely stem from the ill thinking and promote the same. If we can try and remove this one trait from society, then surely a lot of other issues may be resolved as well, from family lives to societal to national
0: and international realms. Thank you to both of you. This has definitely been a most thought-provoking conversation, but unfortunately it's all we have time for today. With the grace of God, we've definitely tried to cover a lot of ground and we've had a very insightful discussion. I'd like to end by thanking our studio guests, Mariam Bashir and Nadia Ahmed. And you've been listening to the Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam radio station, produced by Mrs. Shabeen Bhatt. I've been your host, Melissa Amadi. Please tune in again next time for more information and discussion. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you all.